Ephesians chapter 4. We'll pick up the reading in verse 11 in just a moment. We are still on page 918, though we will be turning that over this week, or yes, after this week. So 918 if you're using the Pew Bible. From the first time that I uh, actually spoke in this building back in March, I've sought to emphasize that Antioch is all of us. Uh, Then I said, Antioch is about our initial core group, the families who were committed to a church plant in Jackson County long before they knew who the lead planner would be. I said, Antioch has countless other families longing to gather in their own community and then live out, that, live out the gospel in that same community during the week. Last week and this week, because of where we are in Ephesians chapter 4, we want to spend time bringing that front of mind once again. Antioch is still every member of this church family coming together for ministry. Antioch is still the member taking time to just go sit with an older saint. Antioch is still the early morning breakfast before work. And Antioch's discipleship ministry is and always will be made up of all of us pouring into one another's lives. So, by, and, and we do that by encouragement, acts of service, easy conversations, hard conversations, and everything in between. As we spend time in Ephesians 4 over these, two, these first two weeks, my aim is to lift up front and center this truth that a properly functioning church body is one where the whole body is doing the work of building itself up, where the body grows the body. So rhetorically, like in just the way of speaking last week, I said, we don't have just one minister we don't have just four, we have 60, now 66 ministers. But let me be very clear on this, okay? I don't draw that point out because I think this is like a particular deficiency of our church family. On the contrary, I'm wildly, wildly encouraged by the kind of like church building work that we see here in our faith family. As one dear saint told me last week, This church is already doing what he's preaching. Amen, we are. And all of that kind of like building up the body work is so good that we just want to see it more and more. Okay, this is what I called last week the Thessalonian more. And I took that from Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. It says this. Okay, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In other words, by God's grace, you're really good at this. But then Paul goes on at the end of 10, and he says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So Paul tells the Thessalonians, You're really good at this. Like God's taught you himself to love one another, and yet do it more and more. Today, as we look again at this work of building up the body, we look at it again because, number one, I just couldn't get all the way through verse 16 last week. Y'all would have been here all afternoon. Um, And two, because it really is, hear me, wildly important for our ongoing health as a church. So my prayer this morning is that God would take this fire that's already alive in our body, already alive in our church family, and he would just fan it into greater flames. Um, as we read, and I, again, I'll start in verse 11, but note these three different movements that'll be helpful as we read. First, Paul gives us a picture of maturity. Second, he gives us a picture of immaturity. And then he summarizes all of that in verse 15 and 16, telling us how we are to get after it. So let's read Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have already given to us as a church family. Father, we thank you for that work of grace that you have worked in us, and we thank you for all the ways that you've worked so much in a short period of time through uh, this church family of God. Father, I uh, pray that, Lord, that in order that you may be more and more glorified through us, God, I pray that you would stir this work of discipling one another up in us more and more now. God, I do pray that you would speak now to each one of our hearts. God, where we have opportunities to grow in this work, then let us hear that. Lord, where we should just be encouraged and keep our hand to the plow and just be encouraged that we're already doing this work. Lord, I pray that you would do that work of encouraging us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would do all of that in us now by your word and for your glory. Amen. Uh, from, from the outset, let me say, I love the church. That's probably not a surprise for you. And I don't really just mean I love Antioch Church. I do love Antioch Church. But I just love the church. It's, again, probably not a surprise because I am a pastor and I'm helping start a church. But I really do. You can ask around. That predates me working for a church. I've just loved the church for a really long time. I'm really, truly enthralled by the beautiful biblical vision of the people of God brought together by the gospel, corporately living out the kingdom of God together. So that's my place. That's where I start. However, I do know that not everyone shares that view of the church. Like, let me just say, if you're here today, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you are a believer and you have at some point been burned by the church and you carry very real wounds from the church, then those wounds tempt you to recoil from a close connection to the local church. Whether it was hypocrisy, scandal, sin, self-righteousness, lack of care, or something else, if that's you today, then I'm just glad that you're here. If I were to sit down with you personally, which I am happy to do, by the way, my starting place would be to assume with you that you have indeed been hurt by very real wounds, that there are very valid shortcomings of whatever church that you came from. That would be my starting place. And I would even venture to guess that any of us who have walked with Jesus for any time at all in this room have also seen in the local church those very kinds of things. The church is susceptible to the sinful distortions of the world, the flesh, and the enemy. So if you're here this morning and that's you, or you have some kind of like church pain in your background, then my prayer for you is that God would grant you to look with fresh eyes to the pages of the New Testament, to see the beautiful vision of Christ's body, and then look back on whatever pain you have experienced previously and call that an imposter while you look at Christ's beautiful vision for his church. And I do recognize that takes a great deal of courage, putting yourself out there, a great deal of faith to believe in a vision that you've seen perverted. But I hope that God might provide healing for you if that's you. As we turn now to the text, by way of review, let me call to our minds some key points from past weeks in Ephesians. First, 
We've seen over and over again that the biblical vision for the Christian life is always both personal and corporate. Ephesians teaches us emphatically that by being united to Christ, we are therefore united to the church, that by being adopted, into, being adopted by the Father, we are therefore adopted into a family with other brothers and sisters. We saw this in 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Christian life then must be lived out in community and therefore attempts to live out the Christian life apart from close connection to the church are really just foreign to biblical Christianity. Like, I just don't know what you mean if you're like trying to live out the Christian life on your own. I just don't think that you've picked up the scriptures. Second, note this. I always find the big picture flow of thought in in a book fascinating. So two weeks ago, we were here and we were talking about God, uh, talking about Paul's prayer that we would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to comprehend the glories of the gospel, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, that we would grow in Christ. And then Paul goes from that prayer for our spiritual growth, and he goes right into the corporate urging that we get after spiritual growth. So at the end of three, it's about spiritual growth. And then at the beginning of four, it's as if he says, this is what we want. And then this is how we're going to get there through the church. Third, as we'll point out over and over again in this last part of Ephesians, recall that chapters one through three rooted us in what Christ has done for us before chapter 4 and following flesh out how we're going to live in light of that. The good news is always first about what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, and we receive that 100% by grace, 0% by our own human, human earning. And then after God does that work in us, we get after pursuing this. As we, I thought this was interesting this week, the first implication that Paul, we talked about this part last week, the first implication that Paul turns to in Ephesians 4 when he turns to the practical thing is to the church. He turns to the the people of God. And that's the same thing that he does in Romans chapter 12 after spending 11 chapters unpacking the gospel. The first thing he turns to in Romans is to life in the church. So, This morning, I want to give you one overarching point, and then four sub-points, which will probably be like, Tyler, you just gave us five points. That's what that was. But um, one overarching point that is the main theme of this text is that the body grows the body. Every member is responsible for the work of growing one another up in grace. And again, I know that we get this. I know that we get this, and I know, but I, we need to get it more and more. It needs to seep just deeper, deeper into our bones in every crevice of our thinking about church life so that our first, listen, so that our first reflex when we think about church is to think about the whole family doing the work of ministry. As much as it may be a strength of our body, it's a strength that we can lean into more and more. The body grows the body. Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In verse 15, all of us are tasked with speaking the truth in love so that we grow up in every way into Christ. And then in verse 16, we see that body-building language come back up, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, The body, this language of building the body, is actually a pretty striking metaphor for the Ephesian church. 
Uh, we're familiar with talking about like building a body because we're familiar with like modern bodybuilding. Like we at least know the idea. I don't actually do a lot of bodybuilding. That might surprise you, but uh, <laughs> we know like we we hear these words used together. But for the Ephesians receiving this letter, they Paul is construct. He's putting together a construction metaphor of building together with a biological metaphor, which he started doing back at the end of chapter 2 when that great section talking about around 2, 19, 20, 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. So it's a, it's a building, it's a structure, but it's also biological because it's growing. He started uh, doing that, and then in chapter 3, remember, he said, rooted and established. So that was rooted, like that's a biological thing, it grows, and established, that was a construction thing. So repeatedly, he is describing the church in these two ways with a mixed metaphor. It's a construction, it's a building, like the temple, and it grows like the body or like a tree and that other thing. So this would have been striking to the Ephesian audience that you would talk about constructing a body. Uh, As much as this idea of building up the body is a strength of our church family. I uh, stand by, I stand by what I said last week when I say this is one of the biggest opportunities that we can grow more and more, that we can grow ever healthier and healthier. For one, this is the biblically prescribed way of growth in the church. So it only makes sense that if we're going to grow more healthy as a church, then it would be through the increase of biblically prescribed means. So Though we see great encouraging fruit coming from the body doing the work of ministry, we should want to see that kind of fruit multiplied more and more to the aid of our brothers and sisters and then ultimately to the glory of God. Likewise, it may seem like I'm beating a dead horse, but I just don't think that that horse is entirely dead. By the way, that's just a weird figure of speech. It's actually one we're not supposed to say anymore. I saw this week, Peta says, we're supposed to feed a fed horse. We're not supposed to beat a dead horse. That's what, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, it may seem like I'm beating a dead horse, but I just think that this kind of thinking is part of our thinking more than we recognize. I think that we continue to have vestiges of thinking about the church primarily as an organization, and we need to grow in thinking more and more of the church as an organism. Let me give you two examples. Let me give you two examples. Say you notice, say you notice in a brother a need to be refined in his understanding of a Christian marriage. Organizational thinking says this is what we need. We need to offer a class on Christian marriage. We need a program, and so that's going to take a teacher, and then it's going to take a curriculum, and then it's going to take a time slot on the calendar, and then we're going to, of course, have to have a place to meet. And all of that is actually pretty slow to pull off. Like, if we were to decide now that we needed to offer a class on Christian marriage, then we could like probably get that going sometime like March or April of next year. Like All of that just takes time to pull off. And it's not a bad thing to have a class on Christian marriage, and it's not a bad thing for the church's organization to do that. But organism thinking says this, hey, do you think you might have some time to get together and discuss this issue? Maybe tomorrow, maybe a few days from now, maybe next week, can we get together and talk about what the Bible says about marriage? Okay, great. We can look at a few passages. We can decide to go through a book. And in that way, listen, in that way of ministry, in just a few days' time, the body is growing the body and the discipleship work is going forward. And the leanness and response time of Personal discipleship is always going to outpace our discipleship programs. It's always going to be quicker, faster, and more personal for people to do the work of ministry. Second example. 
And this one is common in some form or another. So you can just like plug in a different example, but uh, any life stage or circumstance, I'll, I'll go with college kids, okay? So you have a college-age kid in your base group, and like, oh no, you're, you're talking to them, and you're like, I did it. it's pretty difficult, right? Like to graduate out of high school student ministry, which is often pretty close-knit, and then you're like thrown into big church or whatever. You're just like in general population now, and here you are in a base group. Um, and you're like, that's pretty tough. And organization thinking says the church needs to do something. Right? Let's start a ministry. We need a college ministry. We can get all the college kids together. They can do college kid things and study the Bible. And never mind that there's only like one or two or three of them here, but like we need a college ministry, which would take then leadership resources, planning, uh, time on the calendar, time to promote it, and so on. Or Church's organism thinking can seek to build up the body in any number of ways. Hey, we're not in the same life stage, but you're welcome here in my home for dinner anytime you need, right? Like, I'll just tell you, college kids will come for food. I did all kinds of, like, went to all kinds of classes that didn't pertain to me because they were like, hey, free food. I'm like, okay, I'll come. We do, we're not in the same life stage, we're not the same age, but we do share with that college student one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father. Or the member can say, hey, why don't I just invite all the college kids over sometime? We can just do a cookout, I can just like connect you guys to each other, and then you can just go from there. That can just be a way of making some connections. Or even on a Sunday morning, you can say, hey, have you met so-and-so? Hey, I'd like to introduce you to so-and-so. So again, and you could like take college kids and you can plug in singles, you can plug in any kind of life stage to that, and organ, organiz, organism ministry is always going to be more personal, more lean, and the response time of that kind of personal care is always going to outpace what our church can do through programs. The body grows the body, and let's, so let's train ourselves to think more and more. As we think about church, let's think more and more reflexively in terms of personal ministry. So from the overarching point, let me give you a few observations about how the body grows the body. As you see, this passage is kind of like a, there's a reciprocal thing that's going on in this passage where when he talks about the mature man, and then he talks about immaturity, and then he summarizes it, it's saying the same thing over and over again in three different ways. And so for, for that, it won't be as linear today as I usually am, but I, do, I will show you each point from the text. First thing, the body grows the body into unity. Remember the great emphasis on unity from last week that we talked, I just quoted from in 2 through 6. Uh, it opens the chapter 4, and this passage is part of that broader passage still together. This whole passage that we look to today is anchored by that big emphasis on unity in verse 2 through six, that we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. Now, at the end of 12 and leading into 13, we see this. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Building up the body is a, is a working towards unity. And then, if you can note this fascinating little picture, I've read this so many times, I told you last week, this is one of the passages I was most looking forward to getting preached, and this is the first time that I've seen this. The healthy body, in this text, the healthy body is pictured as growing into one singular, full-grown man. Okay, it says to mature manhood, or if you read your footnote, it's literally to a full-grown man. That's then contrasted, if you look down to verse 14, where you get that warning picture about immaturity, 
The healthy body grows into a full-grown man, but the unhealthy is so that we may no longer be children. Healthy, one singular full-grown man. Unhealthy, immature, little, plural children going about. So maturity is growing together into the united strength of one body. Immaturity is dangerous because it leaves us isolated, detached individuals that are easily swayed by the waves of doctrine and blown about and easily blown about by the wind. As we live out the call to build one another up, that unity creates safety like a great ocean liner that easily cuts through all of the waves, easily goes through all of that and that creates a safety in a way that would totally devour us if we were all just taking to the seas in little kayaks. We would be just completely knocked off course. There's a safety in unity that there isn't in isolation. And this kind of every member ministry enacts that kind of safety. Second thing we see is that the body grows the body in truth. This passage is permeated all the way through with the need for us to grow in truth, to grow in the faith, to grow in knowledge. And the way that we grow in faith, the way that we grow in knowledge is what? Verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Back in, back to verse 13, where to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, at, the, at this point in verse 13, faith is being used in the same way that the book of Jude uses the word faith. It's not talking about the subjective thing of us having faith, but it's talking about a body of knowledge, of sound doctrine that's being handed down. Like when Jude says, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Here, Paul says, we need to have the unity of the faith. The Faith is, again, the shared body of knowledge. Tethering this together with the last point, unity comes from shared understanding of sound doctrine. When we grow in truth together, we grow more united, and therefore we grow stronger. The body grows the body in truth. If you... Remember from last week, this will point back to that kind of trickle-down effect of discipleship, where the fountainhead of all of this was that Christ has given to the church teachers, teaching ministers, and they equipped the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body, and that's equipping in truth, right? So teachers equip the body, and then the body continues to equip, and all of this is about truth. It's all about more, more teaching. It flows from the apostles' foundational teaching through present-day teachers in the body. And so a healthy body, one of the things I was convicted about this week, a healthy body has to have healthy teachers, so as much as we emphasize, and I have been emphasizing rightly, that this is a work for all of us, it flows from the teaching ministry of the church. And so that's one of the reasons why we pray. When we gather to pray on Wednesdays, we always, one of the things that's always there is pray for the teaching ministry. Not just the pulpit ministry, but all of our teaching ministry. Because a healthy body has to have sound doctrine. It's just so critical. If you look at the danger of verse 14, what is the danger? What are the waves that could topple it? What is the wind that can blow it all over? It's the disorienting winds that might topple the isolated and immature are the waves and winds of poor doctrine. It's by, by doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. If you don't have 
deep roots in sound doctrine, in biblical truth, then you're just susceptible to being blown over easily by any kind of lie or false way of thinking that the world will throw at you. And look, sometimes you hear this, right? Sometimes you say, sometimes people will say, I'm just not a doctrine guy. Okay, well, read verse 14. You should be a doctrine guy. You're putting yourself in danger. Like, read verse 14. If you're like, that was me. That's going off in your head right now. Like, you think he's talking about me. Read verse 14. You're putting yourself in danger. Today, we even have churches, right, that would laud the fact. It's so weird. We have churches that would laud the fact. Like, we don't, we don't get hung up over doctrine, okay? Read verse 14. You're not helping your people. That's dangerous. Moreover, we have three, okay, Holy Spirit-inspired books written to pastors, telling them how to lead churches. Go read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Look how many times he tells pastors to focus on sound doctrine. That's the kind of truth, healthy truth that builds up the body. So you need to be a doctrine guy. You need to be a doctrine lady. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in danger. The body grows the body in truth. Now look to verse 15. Paul tells us that the way we go about this work, he tells us how we are to go about this work of building the body up. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Most often in church world where we allude to this verse, we talk about speaking the truth in love. What we mean to say is something like, all right, I got to tell you something hard. And I don't really want to do it, but like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to speak the truth and give, deliver the hard word in love. But here you go. Uh, that's a necessary and important part, I think, of what he's talking about here. But it's probably only part of what he has in view. I would say in the context, we should understand speaking the truth in love, not just to refer to correction or not just to refer to those kinds of difficult truth speaking, but it should refer to all kinds of truth speaking that builds the body up. So speaking the truth in love is proclaiming God's truth to one another in instruction, in encouragement, in warning, in comfort, in all kinds of ways that, speak, that, that builds up the body. Speaking the truth to one another is the mechanism here in verse 15 for building up the body. So the church must continuously be building one another up in a greater knowledge, greater and greater knowledge of truth, a greater and greater knowledge of the Bible, of sound doctrine. And that kind of doctrine, right, should not just be understood with our minds, but it really needs to be applied actively where rubber meets the road. And so, church, here's my encouragement here. When you undertake the work of building one another up, when you do the hard part of getting together for coffee and like getting it all on the calendar or whatever, or finally getting together for lunch, don't waste that opportunity. Use that opportunity to build one another up with the timeless, powerful truth of the Bible. Don't waste an opportunity to speak gospel truth to one another when you get together. Many of us, I think, are familiar, already familiar with the technique of one-to-one -one Bible reading. I know the women at New Branch went through that at some point. I know that I've handed the book out to small group leaders and, and such, but we really just want to commend that practice of reading the Bible together, that way of just reading the Bible together with other brothers and sisters as a very easy way to help build one another up. Uh, we have uh, 15 copies on order, but uh, they didn't arrive in time. So it's a church plant. We can get them here fast or we can get them here cheap. And as a church plant, we're just going to go with cheap. So... Um, 
But it's a really short book, and it lays out a way, a technique for just sitting down with another brother or sister, no prep required, opening up the scripture, asking a few questions, and able to have a, a few minutes of Bible study together. So here's my encouragement. When those do get here, if you don't already have the book, grab a book. I read it in like two or three hours. It's not hard, but grab the book and, uh, and, and, and read it. And then my encouragement is, use that method. Find ways that when we get together, you can just open up the scriptures and we can all have that shared way of saying, okay, let's ask these questions as, as we look through this passage. I often will start my own elder shepherding visits with that in just 10 minutes of, hey, none of, neither of us prepared on this, but let's look at this passage and go through this um, one-to-one Thing. So stack will be right there next week, and I grab a copy if you don't have one already. The body grows the body in truth. Let me give you one more observation, okay? This is my observation, not coming from here. This is just Tyler's own uh, observation. So you can kick it around in base group. You can see if you think it holds true. But my observation across many different churches is this. Often, the people who most need to grow in doctrine and theology are the same people who don't show up for that training when it's offered. So do this thought experiment with me, okay? Imagine we can rule out all the other factors, okay? Like the time works for your schedule, Child care is not an issue, all of those things. Like this, whatever class is about to be offered here, like it works for you, okay? Say we offer a doctrinal type class, six weeks of biblical theology, okay? We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, six weeks of biblical theology. Answer in your own mind, would that interest you? Like would you be there for that? If your answer is, no, that's just not my kind of thing. I'm not like the theological person. Here's my working hypothesis, is you're just the kind of person who needs to grow in the kind of content that that sort of class is offering. Often the doctrinal type classes just attract other doctrinal type people, and then when we offer practical type classes, they attract other practical type people, when if we're going to actually grow, doctrinal type people need to go to some practical classes, and practical type people need to engage in some doctrinal classes. So that's my hypothesis. You can kick it around in your base group, you can tell me, now you're way off base, whatever. Third thing, the body grows the body all this life. All this life. The work is never done this side of heaven. Look at the end goal here in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, sorry, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the work is done when we all arrive at that goal. When we all embody Christ fully in every way. The goal is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So perfectly filled with Christ in everything. So until all of us in every way are perfectly filled with Christ, there's still work to be done. And we, of course, know that that work will never be done this side of heaven. Our sanctification, both personally and corporately, is a lifelong process that we must fervently pursue until he takes us home. Fourth, you liked the short point, didn't you? Fourth, the body grows the body into Christ. The reason verse 13 speaks of growth as being into a singular man is because the picture of this passage is that all of us corporately are growing into the body of Christ himself. 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. In every way, like we just said, we, the church, should be personally and then therefore collectively looking more and more like Christ. That's the goal. We build one another up so that through the church, the teaching of Christ sounds forth from every single one of us more and more. We build one another up so that through the church, Christ's love and care shines forth in the body of Christ. We build one another up because it's through the church that Christ himself cares for his people. He, okay, he, the triumphant, risen Christ, is the one who gives to the church all of these varied gifts. He, Jesus, is head over all of the church. He's the one that's reigning over it all. That's what it says. He is the one that's reigning over it all. He's the one pulling the strings and making good on his promise that he said in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He does it all through the work of all of us together. So as his body, as a church being Christ's body, we are at the same time receiving from Jesus his personal provision to us. Like, Christian, when the church cares for you, that's Christ caring for you. That's how he set it up, is for the church, his body, he, he was, Jesus himself cares for you through the church. So we're at the same time receiving from him his personal provision to us, and at the same time, we, his body, are on the giving end of that care to other people. When you minister to another person in the body, that's Christ himself caring for that person through you. Like, Jesus provided you as a gift to your brother and sister, and he gifted you in such a way so that you would build up your brother and sister. That's a gift from Jesus to that person. When Jesus wants a young man discipled, Jesus does it through his body. When Jesus wants the sufferer cared for, he ministers through his body. And so on, and all of the things that Jesus wants to see happen in his church. And so the primary, and this is what I think we need to keep in view in all of this, the primary aim of all work, building one another up in Christ, is so that Christ himself would get more glory through the church. That as a church, we would collectively, so individually, and therefore collectively, look more like Jesus so that when people look at the church, they give more glory to Jesus because we look more like him. The aim is ultimately Christ himself getting the glory. And so when we keep that glorious aim in view... Like I'm building someone up, I'm having this coffee meeting, all of these very earthy, ordinary things that are there that we might better glorify Christ, when we keep that aim in view, I think it changes our attitude a little bit. It ought to provide wind in our sails to keep going. Like I think we can make the, the time work in the calendar if that's the aim. This is about the glory of Christ. It ought to inform our priorities when we say, man, I just don't think I have time to get together and help somebody grow. Can you find no time to help Christ get more glory through his body? Church, keep the glory of Christ in view when you ask yourself how you can serve his body. The body grows the body. It's a grand, beautiful vision for how Christ's church is to function. Let me close with a few practical considerations for taking this big, glorious vision, this grand vision that Paul lays out and enacting it in very real ways. These are lightning round, so uh, you can kick these around in your base group, you can add to them in your base group, all of that. 
Number one, don't underestimate the power of small things. Okay, do what you can. Remember that the body is built up of tens of thousands of little brush strokes over time. To this day, no lie, to this day, I take encouragement from a small, simple word of encouragement that happened as I walked through the door of New Branch six, seven, eight years ago. The greeter there greets me and he says, hey, body, do you still preach? I said, no, I think I'm done with that. He said, oh, God may have other ideas. That's what he said. Then that's it. Carried on. And I walked away, that one little bit of word of encouragement, and then later as the Lord starts working on my heart, I'm like, you know, maybe he's right. So don't underestimate the power of small things. I think all of us can point back to a simple, easy word given in the right moment that nourished us well. A small word of encouragement, a short message of truth, often a little goes a long way. Number two, practice hospitality. There's just no way around the fact that building up one another starts with spending time together. You don't know where to encourage someone if you don't know that person. You don't know where to warn someone if you don't know that person. You don't know where people need to hear teaching unless you know them. And just one of the easiest ways to do that is through meals. Most of us, most of us eat 21 times per week. Consider how you might start taking one or two of those 21 times and using them to do spiritual good for another brother or sister. So consider, consider once or twice a month just inviting some other brothers and sisters over for Sunday lunch. My wife and I were talking just last week that one of the things that we hate about the fact that we still live in Gwinnett um, is it just makes it harder for us to use our home for hospitality in the ways that we have before. So number two, practice hospitality. Number three, consider members in all life situations. Genuine love for one another must drive us to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. And it really does get easy for us to get in our own rhythms and own things that we forget about those in differing life situations. So singles, married, empty nesters, see them all, church, and serve them all. Young, middle, not young, okay? See them all and serve them all. Employed, stay at home, retired. Okay, who might be, looking in your base group, who might be falling through the cracks just because of their life situation, just because their rhythm of life differs from yours? Consider also both sufferers and those who are healthy, For sufferers, my practical encouragement is don't let the difficulty of dealing with somebody who's suffering, don't let the difficulty of that paralyze you into doing nothing. Okay, when you don't know what to say, you can still at least be there with them and show them that you care. And remember to care beyond the initial response. Think of it like this. Natural disaster hits a community uh, all kinds of crisis management teams will be there, and they'll be there to fill, like all, to take care of all of these uh, need, the immediate needs, and the news crews will be there, and all of that. A few months later, all of those teams are gone, but the work of building that community still carries on. In the same way, when tragedy strikes a brother or sister, often the church is really good at rallying in the initial thing, providing the initial care, a meal, a word of encouragement, and so on. But we need to remember that some wounds take a long time to heal, and we need to be on the lookout for how we, the church, can provide that kind of long-term care long after the acute crisis is gone. Second there, the healthy. We need to also care for the healthy. So maybe your brother or sister's doing well, Okay? But don't take that to mean, okay, no ministry is needed. No, you can build someone up who's cruising along, doing well, and you can find ways to spur them on towards love and good deeds. We, don't need, to, we need to care also for the healthy. Fourth, 
We always say, you don't, I don't think you know what lightning round is. That's what we always joke about. It's like, ah, you say lightning round. I don't think you know what a lightning round is. But here we are. Um, yeah, I don't think y'all, when I said, I'm in closing, I don't think y'all actually, y'all knew what that meant. In closing means 15 minutes from now. Uh, number four, don't assume somebody else will take care of it. Okay? Don't assume somebody else will take care of it. If you're a baseball fan, and you should be, but if you're a baseball fan, you've seen kind of one of those videos where like three guys are coming together and the, the fly ball, the easy fly ball, just like falls right before them because they're all like, I thought you had it, I thought you had it, I thought you had it. Uh, don't, each, each one thinking that someone else was going to handle it. Let's don't do that, okay? Don't assume that somebody else is going to take care of a need. Don't assume that just because someone said something out loud in base group, then that meant somebody else was going to follow up with that. Certainly, we all have a limited capacity, and there are times where we need to just acknowledge that our plate's already full. But I'm equally certain that my flesh... For me, my flesh is tricky, and it pulls out that, like, my plate is full card a little quicker when I'm looking into something messy or difficult, okay? Um, so don't assume that somebody else will take care of it. Number five, speak truth. Christian care should be distinctly Christian. Give God's word to one another. Certainly there's a time for just sitting with there and that there's a time for the ministry of present, but more often we need to just speak or we need to speak truth to one another. Number six, go for it. You have an idea? Try it out. Okay, not sure if it'll work. Maybe it won't, but you don't know until you just try. There's a time in my life where I couldn't commit to a 7 p.m. Bible study. Okay, I was like, I, I just can't be there. I work too much in the summer, and it's too unpredictable. But I could meet at 8.30. And I told myself for a long time, like, come on, no one else is going like, to meet at 8.30 for a Bible study. What, like, that's just not going to work. Well, we went for it, and for many months on end, we had like 8, 10, 12 guys, something like that, uh, coming out and eating chicken wings and studying the Bible, which is the best way to study the Bible. But... Don't let fear or unfamiliarity keep you from just trying something. Just keep, get after it and keep trying until things work. Let me close with this. I mean it this time. Look at Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Look once more to that. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, this time of looking into your word, God, and recognizing that there's uh, so much good already going on in our church family. Lord, I pray that would be an encouragement to many that are here, that they would just feel encouraged, affirmed about the ways that they're already getting after it. And uh, Father, I pray that you would stir up in us more and more personal ministry to one another, that you would stir up in us a desire to, to study alongside of others and to care for one another and to speak the truth in love in all kinds of different ways. Uh, Father, I do pray that there be anybody here who uh, deal with that kind of church hurt or church pain uh, Father, that you would heal them and that they would look into the pages of Scripture and believe that about your bride. Um, Father, I pray that you would do all of this work for your glory, that you would make us all more like you so that we can all give you more, that you would get more glory through that. And Lord, that you would build us together as a church family into a united body that you might get more glory through us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.